thou art. When through the woods and forest glades I wander, and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, and hear the How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God his Son not sparing, sent him to die. And sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Good morning and welcome to Cypress Bible Church. We're the Lamberts, Russell and Claire, and we have the privilege of calling us together to worship the living God. It's our hope that all of us, no matter if we're worshiping in person or if we're online, that we would experience God's presence as we draw closer to Him as we hear from His Word. Here at Cypress Bible Church, we believe that we are always a work in progress and that we should begin where we are and become more like Jesus as we gather in life-changing worship, grow in life-changing truth, and go in life-changing mission. No matter where you are in that journey, we're so glad that you're here today. Before we begin our time of worship, we wanted to share just a couple of important announcements with you. We're thankful for the support you have shown Cam in loving your neighbor. So far, we've collected 148 crates of food in the pantry items. Today's the last day we'll be collecting donations at CBC. The trailer will be open until 4 p.m. There are bags at the exit doors if you want to take one and fill and bring back by 4 p.m. today. You can always donate to Cam directly and they appreciate any donations. In anticipation of growing numbers in our worship services, we would ask that you please move towards the center when possible. We want to make sure that we have space for everyone while maintaining proper distance. 
At the end of service today, we'll be observing communion. For those worshiping with us in person, you'll likely notice and pick up your communion elements as you walk into the worship center. If you're worshiping with us online, you'll want to make sure you get your communion elements ready for this special time, remembering Jesus our Savior. So here's our call to worship. Have you ever considered the vastness, the greatness of God? If we posed it in the form of a question, God, how great are you? The words would plunge us into abyss. There's no depth too deep, no height too high, or width too wide to measure how marvelous he truly is. The Bible says in Psalm 145:3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. While we cannot grasp how great he is, we try to bring as much substance to it as we can to rightly extol his glorious name. As we lift our voice in song and declare the Lord's greatness through his work in creation, salvation, and restoration, we want to offer this invitation of David from Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let us come together now and declare how great thou art. Let's stand together as we worship the living God. Will you sing it out? Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's thy hands have made. I see the sun, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe is played. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to
Praise the Lord. All right, come on, sing this. I was buried. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my dream Till I met you Now here it is You called my name And I darkness into your glorious day you call my name and I ran out of that grave out of the darkness into your glorious I needed rescue, my sin was heavy, the chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen of heaven.
Amen. Amen. Friends, true worship happens when we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Our spirits yearn for Him as the living water, and He restores our soul. His truth reveals who He is and what He has done and continues to do. Consider the song that we just sang. See, His Word tells us in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, you'll see the words up here on the screens. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As we lift our voices in song, we embrace the truth of the living God. And He tells us in John chapter 8, verse 32, His truth will make you free. We have His assurance, even when we face trials or struggles of all kinds, that He is Lord and He will keep His promises. As we continue to lift our praise to Him, I want us to read aloud the words of Psalm 27, 13 through 14. You may remember this from last week. It says, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. As we wait on the Lord, both in good times and bad, take hope, for we have His blessed assurance. Day. Day. 
is my song Praising my Savior All the day long Oh, this is my story This is my song My King is coming soon He will roll the may be seated. Good morning, friends. I'm Brenda Croucher. I have the joy to be the pastor of women's ministry here at Cypress Bible Church. Um, I don't know how things have been for you lately, but the past few months have been um, somewhat difficult, and now I realize that we have less than two days before our schools are going to be starting. So if you're like me at all, maybe you're just a little bit concerned about the upcoming school year. Maybe you're even a lot concerned about the upcoming school year. But you know, scripture speaks to this. God tells us in his word, he says, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. So maybe again, if you're just a little bit like me, you're wondering, what exactly can I do about this school year? Well, I think one thing that we can do is we can pray. And because we believe that so strongly, one of the things that the women of Cypress Bible Church will be doing this year, we are going to be partnering with uh, teachers at Lampkin Elementary. The teachers will share their prayer requests, and a woman from CBC will receive those requests and pray uh, for that teacher all year long. Then at the conclusion of the school year, we want to have a celebration so we can find out how God has responded and answered those prayers and so that we can pray and thank God for his goodness and his faithfulness to us. But right now, what I would really like to do is for you to join me in prayer for our school year. Would you do that, please? Father God, we do praise you for who you are. We give you thanks, Lord, because you created us in your own image. You are good, you are faithful, and you protect and provide. You are the one in whom, through whom, and by whom all things are held together. You are the one who calls us for such a time as this, the one that cannot be, we cannot be separated from. We do indeed have blessed assurance. Lord, I pray you will help students and parents as they begin this new school year. Allow every student to feel your presence and blessing each day. 
I pray that students will not fear because your word encourages us to be strong and courageous. I pray that you will open the eyes of every student to receive new challenges, revelation, and insights. Allow every student and parent to support our teachers as they educate our children. Give students a spirit of enthusiasm, motivation, self-discipline, and every parent a spirit of understanding so they can effectively listen, teach, and advocate the needs of their child. Father, inspire every student to do their best, which, Lord, can bring you the glory. I pray for our teachers and our school staffs as they enter into this new school year, that they may be fortified, Lord, with your peace, your understanding, and most of all, Lord, your love and direction. I ask that every teacher and staff member would learn how to wait upon you, that you will renew their strength as eagles. Lord, help every teacher to be able to manage the demands of this job, especially the new challenges. I pray that they will run and not become weary, that they will walk and not faint. We admit, Lord, we do not know what these days will hold for us, but we acknowledge that we know who holds our days. I pray that you will give us eyes to see you at work. We love you, Lord, and we trust you, and we trust you with our children. Your ways are our life. I pray these things, Lord, in the name of your holy and perfect Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's continue to sing together. Will you stand? All of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Yes, he is coming soon. Call back the sin, wake up the saint, let every nation shout of your faith. Jesus is coming soon. Come on, church, lift him up. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing, even so come, Lord Jesus so even so come Lord Jesus come there will be justice there will be justice and all will be your name forever faithful and true Jesus is coming
because we know this. God, we wait. You're coming soon. So we
cry out to him. Cry out to him. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we're singing that song, I realized that uh, I don't think in my entire life I have wanted the return of Christ to happen any more than I do right now. I uh, was put on hold this week, which when you call places these days, that's uh, more typical than ever, because as they told me, we have extremely long wait times, unusual wait times, and so I got to listen to some music, which I don't even think I would call music. It was electronically uh, created lines, and it was only about six, maybe eight measures that were just repeated over and over again of this same electronic music. And I, At least they could give me a song to listen to while I'm waiting, but they chose not to do that. Well, eventually, I... Uh, got the customer service person and helped me with the uh, one problem that I had and then said, I'm going to have to transfer you to another department to deal with this other thing. So I'm going to put you on hold. I said, fantastic. I was hoping you'd say that. And uh, I got that music again, the same six, eight measures over and over. And then after a while of waiting, uh, the customer service person came back on and said, thank you for waiting. I'm still trying to transfer you to this department. Uh, just hang on. I said, wonderful. And she went away, and this time there was no music. And so I panicked a little. I don't want to start this thing. I've already been 25 minutes. I, now there's no music. How much I longed for those same eight measures back again. I don't like to wait. I imagine you don't either. I can be pretty impatient, and yet God so very often makes us wait. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I would say that you are right now stuck in the waiting room. And you're probably daily experiencing frustration. Why? What are we waiting for? And how do we survive the wait? Well, we come to the end of our series, Survival Songs, as each week we've studied a different psalm, uh, one of desperation, a need before God, and uh, today we're in Psalm 130, and there's a theme of waiting in this psalm. If uh, you look at it, the, the heading says, A Song of Ascents, Ascents. And that refers to, this is one of the songs that the people of Israel sang as they traveled to Jerusalem for one of the great event days on their spiritual calendar. And I believe that this psalm, as uh, others do, fits best with the Day of Atonement, that great uh, day in Israel's history when they dealt with their sin according to the law of God. The details uh, primarily we find in Leviticus chapter 16 of this day, where once a year the people uh, traveled to Jerusalem, traveled to the center of their spiritual life there, and 
did so so that their sin could be atoned, so their sin could be covered over, so it could be dealt with according to God's law. We're told that the high priest had to wear special white undergarments, the only uh, incident of sacred underwear that I see in Scripture, but that's uh, talked about in Leviticus chapter 16. And, And the high priest was to select two goats. One goat would be the sacrificial goat. The other would be the scapegoat. And then the high priest, in front of all the people gathered on the Day of Atonement, would slaughter that sacrificial goat. He would then take his blood into the most holy place and sprinkle that blood on the altar, on the mercy seat, on the the lid of the ark, the cover of the ark of the covenant. And this was the sin offering to the Lord. The blood of that sacrificial goat would cover over, would atone for the sin of the people. And then the high priest would come back outside and go to that other goat, the scapegoat. And he would lay his hands on the head of that second goat. And then he confesses all the sin, all the wickedness, all the rebellion of his people Israel. And in effect would be transferring, at least symbolically, all that sin he confessed onto that scapegoat. And then Leviticus 16.22 says, The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. So after the the high priest transferred those sins symbolically, a a man specially chosen for this task would lead the goat far, far away, and then into the wilderness release it so it would never be seen again. And just imagine the people on that day of atonement seeing the blood sacrifice that was paid for their sin as God demanded blood as the covering for sin. And then those people seeing the scapegoat symbolically carrying their sins led away never to be seen again. And the Lord said, do this every year. So through the the history of Israel, every year this great day of atonement was that time when God had the people deal with their sin according to His law. And these goats, one sacrifice, one led away never to be seen again was done every year. The people traveled to the temple for that day of atonement. And I believe that, uh, as do many, that this psalm in particular was one that they sung on the way to Jerusalem for that special event. This song of ascent was as they traveled up to Jerusalem. That's the only way you can go to Jerusalem. No matter where you are geographically, you always go up to Jerusalem. As they went year after year, they sang this song among others. So, this song helped to prepare them as they had their sin covered over, dealt with, atoned for. I want to take you through the four sections of this psalm. Uh, Two verses each. That's how it divides up. And imagine as you're going up toward the temple in Jerusalem, The first section is desperation, then salvation, then anticipation, and then finally redemption. Those are the four sections, and I want to show you how and why this psalm has meaning for your life and mine today. And I believe it will help make sense of some of the things that you feel as you follow Jesus in this day. And it will explain, I think, some of your greatest frustrations and mine as we live in this world. So it begins 
with desperation. Verse 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So the, the song starts in a place of misery and fear. Now, why the misery? Why the desperation? Well, it's not about health condition. It's not about a broken relationship. It's not about a lack of money. No, this song is about someone who is drowning in guilt and despair over their sin. The following verses make that clear, but the, that's what this is about. Uh, the, the, the song is about uh, this writer who's floundering, he's distressed, he's afraid, and it's a desperate appeal for the mercy of God. In his desperation, he, he needs the mercy of God poured out to him. He's saying, Lord, I need you. He knows the Lord is holy. He knows he is desperately sinful and wicked. And he knows that God has provided a solution for his sin. That's why this was great preparation for that day of atonement. Is recognizing, yes, I am a sinner, and I need then the atonement that you provide, God. Uh, by the way, I, I think it's a frightening thing if and when we become indifferent to our sin as individuals and as a people. Because God alone provides the way of atonement. And no one is a Christian who has not yet admitted that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Not a mistaker, but a sinner. Sinners need a Savior. So you must never get to the point where you see your sin as acceptable, as manageable, but that always, especially for those who's already entrusted themselves to God in Christ, to, to recognize their desperation and their need to confess and deal with their sin as God has prescribed it. Researchers uh, in the U.S. and Israel banded together some several years ago and conducted a study. And, and it's not, it was not a religious study, but it found that people who only partially confessed a wrong felt worse than those who didn't confess at all. Well, that was very interesting. And summarizing that study, the Harvard Business Review said this, confession is a powerful way to relieve guilt, but it only works if you tell the whole truth. That's a spiritual truth as well. Yeah, confession is only good if you tell the whole truth. And, and our, our desperation is necessary before God as we, as we confess to him all our need, all our failure, and to, to acknowledge that self-help won't help, that, that we need a, a Savior. There must be this ongoing desperation for the mercy of God. That's what we see as the psalm begins. The second section is salvation. It says, verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. That's an important question. If God kept a record of every sin, no one could survive. Because one sin is enough to keep you from heaven, to keep you from the presence of God. Now, of course, the frightening answer is that God does keep a record of sins. God is aware of all and every sin, as Revelation 20 describes how in the last day, those na whose names are not found in the book of life will be judged for what they have done. And so what does the writer mean? When he says that, oh Lord, if you should mark iniquities, that word mark means to preserve, it means to watch, it means to guard, it means to hold on to. And so 
there are two groups of people in this world. Those whose sin God covers and those whose sin God uncovers. Uh, Every human being is a sinner. Scripture is so clear about that. But only those who desperately come to God for salvation have that sin forgiven, have that sin atoned for, dealt with, covered, washed away. And this song about the the day of atonement when the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat uh, are used for God to deal with the sin of his people, joy comes. Joy comes because of God's forgiveness. And by the way, this Hebrew word for forgiveness never refers to people forgiving each other. Every time it's used in Scripture, in every form, it's only used of God pardoning the sinner. This is all God's work, the forgiving God. And miraculously, he provides mercy for sin. And look at the response it produces. Fear. Fear. You say, well, what's that about? Well, this is reverence and awe. If you have known the forgiveness of God for your sin, it will always provoke you to worship. And that's why we desperately need to, to confess our sin and to deal with that, knowing that he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, but that awareness of, of, of sin and then God's forgiving work in that leads us to worship. It produces wonder and gratitude and praise. Uh, but, of course, the blood of bulls and goats that had to be constantly repeated year after year was just a glimpse into the salvation God had planned before the foundation of the world. When out of his great love, God sent his son into this world to save us. And the sinless Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. He he became the sacrificial goat and, and the scapegoat for our sin. And for all who put their trust in him, Hebrews 10.10 says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Hebrews 10.10. There is no other sacrifice needed. No other work can be done. And the sin marked against us is paid in full. And so we can say with the psalmist, Lord, you're not marking our iniquities anymore. Because of Jesus, they're washed away. It's been paid in full for those who believe. Revelation 1.5 says Jesus has freed us from our sins by his blood. And so if, like me, your faith is in Jesus alone, you know the joy of salvation, liberation from the penalty of sin, the the permanence of death. And, and so that, that second movement is salvation. And we come to the third section. The third section is anticipation, verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Of the... Uh, number of jobs I had as I was working my way through school, one of them uh, for a brief period was as a night watchman. I worked from 10 p.m. at night till 6 a.m. in the morning. And uh, I was uh, the watchman at the uh, Robert Morris Hotel, 14 floors of it in uh, Center City, Philadelphia. And um, I, I had to make rounds and I had to go from various places and key in the fact that I had been there and uh, I had to go into the basement and the sub-basement and the sub-sub-basement. Very exciting. And then uh, at least some, not all, of the 14 uh, upper floors of the hotel. And uh, honestly, it was a little scary sometimes. I mean, you're walking around in the dark sub-sub-basement wondering what's around the corner, imagining what could be around the corner. And then the rest of the time when I'm not on, uh, when I wasn't walking rounds, I'm sitting at the front desk waiting. 
and I'm waiting for the morning. When is this going to be over? When can I go to bed by going to my next class and sleeping through it? When is this going to end? That's the sentiment here that the psalmist suggests. Those on guard duty throughout the night are keeping an eye out for the morning. They're anxious for the sun to come up, for the danger to be over. And the psalmist has this eager expectation for God. And it's not that he's physically waiting. He's not looking out the window. He waits in his soul. The Hebrew word is nephesh, which is, the, uh, is your very existence, your deepest needs, your desires and longings, the real you. That's what the nephesh is. And so what's he waiting for would be the question. What, what's he what hasn't happened yet? He's already cried out to God in desperation, confessing his sin. Uh, he's cried out for mercy, and he's received it. He's received salvation, the forgiveness of sin. What else is left? What hasn't been delivered yet? Well, if you have desperately confessed your need of a Savior and come to Jesus for salvation, this is where you live. This is where I live in anticipation. It can be frustrating. It can be challenging. It can be even tiring. Now before I tell you what that frustration is, let me give you an example of how to wait that comes directly from the words of this psalm. Uh, How to wait. First of all, my focus must be on the Lord. He says, I wait for the Lord. Now that's a very important thing that we mustn't skip over. For example, when my wife wanted a child and years went by and Amy's prayers and desires and hopes were focused on a baby and then finally after eight years of waiting and longing she recognized that her longings were in the wrong place that they were on a baby when they belonged on Jesus now Amy already knew that only God could answer the desire for a child. She knew that. That, that, that was true. That wasn't a lack of faith in her life. She was waiting for the Lord to work. But she realized that she was not waiting for the Lord. And there's a difference. Subtle, but significant. And when you're not waiting for the Lord, you're not waiting. That's the first part. Second part is my desire must be for the Lord. When he says my soul waits, that brings it into this intensity here. When instead of just waiting for God to come through or waiting for him to get around to doing what I want him to do, this is when your deepest desire is wrapped up in him. Instead of seeking to satisfy your soul in any other way, your soul rests in him. Uh, This became a reality for my wife when she focused her deepest desire on the Lord. Uh, Christ wanted her to be satisfied with him alone not to equate satisfaction with a child. And the waiting ended when when Amy knew and she understood that she would be satisfied in Christ alone without anything else, including a baby. And so you can replace baby with whatever it is that you're waiting for, and this totally applies to you. And then the third part of how to wait is my hope must be from the word of the Lord. The psalmist says, in his word, I hope, I hope that while you're waiting, there must be consistent input 
from God. Reading, meditating, obeying, claiming His Word is an important activity. Uh, If you're not obedient to His Word, you're not waiting. If you're not reminding yourself of God's promises, if you're not extolling God's character, you're not waiting. If you're not allowing His Word to shape your hopes and expectations and desires and longings, you're not waiting. I know that my wife soaks in the Word of God daily. And over this time of pandemic, she's had more opportunity to do that than ever before. And, and so I, I know in this, in this last year, her, her, her soaking in that word and discovering things anew that she read before but is discovering them again and, and coming up with questions. And, you know, one of, the, one of the great things about living with somebody who has lots of theological degrees and has been studying the Bible for decades is that she doesn't have to go far to ask questions. And so she can ask me a question, and the majority of the time I can say, I have no idea. I have no idea. The soak in that word, and that's where hope comes from. So, so what is this waiting about in Psalm 130? Why is there something deep in my soul that's longing for morning to arrive? What is my need that only the Lord can satisfy? Well, that brings us to the final section, and that's redemption. He says, verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So all the people of God are included in this final liberation. Keep your hope in him, because it's of his great love that complete redemption is on the way. I, I like the word plentiful to describe the redemption, plentiful And by the way, it's used elsewhere in Scripture to describe how the waters of the great flood covered the whole earth. It's a word that means abundance, multiplied. So what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the flood of redemption. That's what we're waiting for. The day when God will redeem his people from all iniquity. You say, well, wait a minute. Hasn't that happened? Hasn't Jesus paid it all? Doesn't his perfect sacrifice bring once for all salvation for all who believe? Yes, yes, and yes. But we await the Lord and his final redemption from the effects and the presence of sin itself. We've been saved from the the penalty and the power of sin. Now we're waiting for that day when we'll be saved from the very presence of sin, the existence of sin. And Romans 8 describes this so beautifully when it says all of creation is groaning in frustration, waiting for the day when it will be finally liberated from decay. You see, our entire universe lives in frustration, whether it's plants or planets, seas or trees, boulders or birds, glaciers or gazelles. Nothing in this universe has been able to experience the the total perfection that God created it to enjoy. And so everything is disintegrating, breaking down, decomposing, including us. It started far earlier in my life than I wish it had, but it's happening as Romans 8.23 says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So time ravages us. We weaken and wrinkle and widen and bend and break and bald and our abilities erode, our strengths decrease, our looks diminish and our life runs out and we groan over the frustration between what God has already given to us and the weight that we will realize the final redemption. 
my body made in the image of God is breaking down because of sin, but one day it will be transformed and be like Christ's own glorious body. And the other frustration that I experience, and you do too, is that while my sin is forgiven through Christ, I still sin. Uh, I, I struggle with my sinful nature that lusts and gets angry and lies and hates and disappoints and overindulges and acts selfishly and gives in. It's that tendency to look where you shouldn't look, to take what you shouldn't take, to say what you shouldn't say. And not only is there frustration over the things that you do, but there's frustration over the things that are done to you, and there's frustration over the things that are done to others as well. And you see the effects of sin all around you and in you, and you groan. But this song reminds us that the flood of redemption is on the way. When it says that he will redeem his people, that word redeem means to release from imprisonment. And as long as sin continues to exist in our world, that's the imprisonment we have, this, this groaning of frustration. And as you anticipate the final redemption, it's frustrating. You see laws being broken that make you grieve. You see laws being made that hurt your heart. You see marriages and families fall apart. Violence, abuse, hatred, poverty, greed, lies, injustice, and you groan. And this song calls us to put your hope in the Lord who is worth the wait. Put your hope in that one place that's worth the wait. Yes, you're waiting. Yes, there's frustration and groaning, but he's worth the wait. And let me remind you where that hope is located. It is not located in a political leader. Whether that leader's name is Trump or Biden or Pence or Harris or fill in the blank, that's not where your hope is. Let me tell you, there, there is a political leader who will seem to have a lot of answers and influence, and that's the Antichrist, the final rebel, and I already know that's not going to work out too well. So do not put your hope in any kind of political leader in any way. Your hope must be in Christ alone. Uh, and, and see, our, uh, how, how to survive today is to turn from all forms of self-help and hope only in the Lord. You say, well, what's self-help? Self-help is anything apart from Jesus. That's what self-help is. I love how Mike Bro puts it. He says, as a culture, we tend to run to self-help. Self-help is an oxymoron. Self-help can't help, and because self can't help, we get frustrated. Because when you turn to self and ask for help, you may, self may offer some suggestions, but at the end of the day, self can't help. And if you ask self to help and let self help and self wants to help, you're going to be in a big dilemma because self has helped you dig a great big hole you can't get out of. Self is unreliable. Self is undependable. Self can't be trusted. Self can't accomplish anything eternal. Self cannot provide the transformational power needed to live as Jesus calls us to live. If self could really help, then Jesus would just give us a gift card and say, go get a book, get a latte, and have a nice life. Self-help is deceiving. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. And you must cultivate a soul that waits on him. Put your hope in the God who is worth the wait. Now as we prepare to take communion in a few moments, I want to lead you in a time of prayer. And I want to do that by using these same sections from this psalm and lead you through it in this way. And, and, and at each section, I'm going to give you 15 seconds or so to pray along those lines as we prepare to remember the Lord's death for us. The first section is desperation. 
would you in these few quiet moments confess your sin to the Lord and from your heart express how much you need him. Cry out to him for his church to stand strong and for peace in our land. Would you take a few seconds of silence to do that before the Lord? And then the second section is salvation. Claim his forgiveness through Christ. Knowing that when you confess, God is faithful and just to forgive. Praise him for pardon for sin. So do that in these seconds. And then anticipation. Could you admit your frustration with our fallen world and your longing for the Savior to return? Recommit yourself to be his representative in your world today. And then finally, redemption. Would you renounce all other hopes apart from Christ? Praise Him for the promised day of redemption. And, oh Lord, I can declare that I am a sinful person saved by grace. And I proclaim Your mercy and forgiveness that comes through the, the sacrifice of Christ once for all. And for every single one of us who, who claims that, who believes, who belongs to you, Lord, lift our burdens, ease our frustration, increase our anticipation that final redemption is on the way. We thank you for all that you've provided through the blood of your Son, through his glorious resurrection that because he lives, we too shall live. We give you praise and thanks in his precious name. Amen. Will you sing it together? Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty souls. Lord, hear our
you to uh, take your communion cup in a moment. You realize that this observance of communion includes all four sections of that song. The desperate need that we have for, to confess our sin for forgiveness and the salvation we've received through Jesus, his once for all sacrifice. The anticipation we have of being released from that final frustration and then the redemption is promised. It's how the scripture ends in that way. I encourage you to take that first tab off and to take the bread and hear these words from 1 Corinthians 11. For what I received from the Lord is what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat. And then taking the cup, you can uncover that cup and hear the words of Jesus on that night. He said, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let us remember the Lord and drink together in his honor. The apostle ends this section of instruction and says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
And so today we again declare our need of a Savior and that it's been provided in Jesus and that wonderful hope that we have of his coming return. So let me dismiss you with this blessing. And as you leave today, I encourage you to take that cup with you and deposit it uh, in the uh, basket provided as you leave so that you can help us as we prepare for the next service. Receive these words from 2 John. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Thanks be to God. Go in peace. cool Chinese American, married to Jennifer with two great kids, a physical trainer. You're deep, like a Dallas Theological Seminary grad. <laughs> and, that, and now what? You're, you're, like, you're like building spiritual muscle in uh, middle and high school students, right? Is that, is that yeah, it? Yeah, I, yeah. I would, I would say that is a good summary. How'd that happen? Man, very short sentence and God moved in my life and I decided to obey and follow. Yeah, that's, that sounds good. How, how's the ministry going? Man, it's, it's going great. Uh, it's been tough because we haven't been able to meet uh, because of everything going on, but um, we got to do some really exciting things this summer. We had a, an outdoor event that we called Engage where our students were able to come and we uh, were able to still fellowship together and worship in song and truth uh, through scriptural truth and um, yeah so overall that, good that's really cool I thought everything was like totally shut down you know like nobody doing nothing right it, yeah it was at first and uh, but you know thankfully the Lord provided a way for us to be able to meet good so what's going on this fall what are you guys doing man we are so excited about reopening uh, student ministry up for people to be able to gather on campus and uh, so the plan is right now is that on September 13th we will reopen our Sunday morning gatherings at 9:30 a.m. for our students and then on the 16th on that Wednesday evening we will begin uh, meeting for 242 again and um, that is the big plan that we're trying to do I and mean, we want a lot we want to do a lot of things but uh, it's important for us to get these two things launched first yeah so so what what is 242? I hear people talk about that, but what, just give me a quick picture. What does it look like? Yeah, 242 is basically our middle school and high school grow groups. Uh, it's where they get together and uh, they build community. It's based on Acts 242. Um, they sit down and they, they fellowship, they study the word, they pray, and they really, you know, quote unquote, they, they do life together. That's that's like really cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in that kind of situation, well, 
won't they be pretty close? You know, I mean, what what are you doing to uh, be sure that you know everybody's safe with yeah. the virus? You know? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the plan that we're going to do for Sunday mornings and 2:42 is uh, we're going to follow the guidelines that um, we as a church have decided to have, and so we are going to look to social distance, looking for six feet of space in between chairs and seats in the gym on Sunday mornings. Uh, in regards to distancing for um, 2.42, the rooms that the students will be uh, doing their studies and meeting in will be limited to uh, numbers to where they can sit comfortably at six feet apart. Um, in addition to social distancing, uh, we are making sure that our volunteers uh, will be wearing masks. Now our volunteers will be wearing masks, but our students will not be required. We recommend that they wear a mask, but it won't be, uh, it won't be required. Okay. Um, and in addition to that, <laughs> yeah. uh, we are making sure that everything is sprayed down beforehand so it's all disinfected and clean and ready to go. And then immediately afterwards, we will spray and disinfect as well. So a lot of okay. uh, things we're putting into place in order to make the safest environment possible for our students to begin regathering Fantastic. Yeah. So like if a student comes but they forgot their mask and they want to wear one, what what happens in that situation? Well, that's a great question, Pat. Mm -hmm. We uh, we actually will have masks available for them. And so um, we will also have lots and lots of hand sanitizer. We have a cart out in the lobby that is you know, you should be buying stock and whoever's making hand sanitizer because I think we bought almost all of it uh, for this coming year. <laughs> that sounds great. Sounds like you're pretty pretty well organized and set for this and kind of having a trial run over the summer, yeah. that, that must have helped, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's good. Well, where, where are you with respect to volunteers? Do you have enough volunteer leaders or, or how's that look? That, again, is another great question. You know, it's been great seeing how God has provided. We are actually good on our volunteers, we are fully staffed, which has been amazing because um, just in the limited contact and interactions we'll be have with people. Uh, but if you are wanting to jump in the game, and I'm, if you want to jump in the game and be a part of this student ministry team, I would still love to engage you because I, it's always good to have more people. Great, great. Well, that's super. Um, here's a good one. Um, let's say my child is just entering sixth, sixth grade, mm -hmm. and and they're really stressed out about the virus. And on top of that, being with this large group of older students, what what would you say to that guy or that girl? Yeah, what, what's so tough is typically the sixth graders would become a part of student ministry at the beginning of the summer and have a summer to acclimate. Uh, now you add in the um, you know potential fear of everything that's going on uh, to calm the parents and ours again to let them and to really even let the students know we're doing everything possible um, to make sure they will be physically safe but uh, even just for them to assimilate well what's great is I have an amazing team of adult volunteers and an amazing student servant leadership team uh, that will engage them well to be their big brother or big sister and just to welcome them into the student ministry to make them feel like a part of the family. Wow that's great sounds like Sounds like all the bases are covered as best as possible. Yeah. So anyway, listen, I just got a text message. I got to go, okay? All right. Great talking with you. Good to see you too, buddy. All right. All right.